You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Yes, it is the day before game day. Does that mean we're going to spend the whole day talking about the Baltimore Ravens? Are we going to finish up talking about the Baltimore Ravens defense? Maybe. Are we going to talk about the injury report? I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. Just, just stop asking me questions for five seconds, all right? We got something else to do real quick. Because sometimes... I get real, real, real sick of hearing things. And rather than just coming on here and screaming my own perspective on things in response to your perspective on things, I decide that I'm just going to dedicate the entire day to um, gathering up what I find to be useful information to try to put this thing to bed once and for all. Now, is it actually going to move the needle? I don't know. But at the end of the day, I'm going to do what I always do, which is to say, I'm just going to give you the information. You can choose to use that information to inform your own opinion, or you can try to maintain your opinion, your wrong opinion, having heard everything that I've just said, and live with the fact that you now hold an opinion that doesn't really make any sense. And you know the data doesn't support what you're saying, but you're just so sure of it, you're just going to hang on to it. At least that'll be the reality. And I'm hoping as Packer fans, it's not going to take that much persuading because what I'm really doing is, is finding some people that really love to trash this team outside of Green Bay Packers fandom, although this guy, I believe, is a Packer fan, which is why I just, I think he's, I don't know, whatever. Again, there are Packer fans that are this way and it drives me nuts that I have to defend the team against Packer fans. It just <laughs> blows my mind. But anyways, this is not anything necessarily new. I'm just tired of hearing about it. I'm really tired of Michael Lombardi. I'm really tired of him being so just stupid on this. And again, that's the thing that just bothers me the most that I just can't let go. It's okay to have whatever opinion you want, but have have a position that kind of makes sense. You know, bring something to the table that makes me go, oh yeah, that's a good point. And there have been several of those along the way, and we're going to look at those. You know, on Twitter, people have brought some things up. You know, fair point, however... But, um, you know, and I just I I think part of it, too, is I just have such higher expectations for a guy that's been in the industry um, as far as his ability to think properly. But ultimately, what he seems to be is a guy that doesn't really do any homework. He's a guy that relies on his sources. And and again, I've talked about this before. It's, It's one of those things where you get a group of guys who sit around in a room smoking cigars, and that's how information gets passed around. Some guy brings up some kind of an opinion. And the problem with guys like him, and, and maybe this is a bigger issue with, with NFL personnel in general, is they're so unbelievably arrogant that they can't ever question, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? Like that can't, and because they're too arrogant to even accept, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this process is wrong. Maybe my thought was wrong. Maybe this thing that I've been saying this whole time was incorrect. You know, I'd heard at one point, you know, one of the most broke, uh, I guess you would say, demographics on earth is doctors. Or, or people that are some of the worst with money are doctors. These are some of the smarter people generally on earth, right? I mean, they're, they're really into I work in a hospital. I work with doctors. They're smart people. The problem is 
they didn't go to school to know about money, but they think they know about money. And I know that because, again, I, I work with doctors, and what they love to do is to do my job for me. And that's not to say that they maybe don't know or maybe by process of deduction they can't kind of think things through and kind of get to the bottom of it. But it's funny because when a nurse says, hey, I got this problem, they're generally, not all of them, but generally their thing is, I don't know, man, this isn't working. It needs to work. It's stupid. When I go up and talk to a doctor, they're like, hey, uh, this thing's doing this. I'm thinking maybe it's it's something like this or, or maybe this or you should look at that. He thinks he knows what the issue is. And again, maybe he does or maybe he doesn't, but it's just the general demeanor of, I am doctor. I know things. In other words, I'm I'm a doctor, so I'm smarter than you. Even though I've never done your job, I didn't go to school for your job, I've never spent five minutes doing what you do. And again, I'm not offended, it's just an interesting dynamic with doctors because they are so top of the food chain. And, And they have convinced themselves that they're not only really smart in their field, they're just really smart at everything. And I get that impression from these guys where it's like they can look at a situation, not really dig in deep at all. They have no real context, but it doesn't matter because I am GM. I am former NFL GM. I know all. It's like, well, would you like to look at some of the information here to to form an opinion? No, I can tell by looking at it. Matt LaFleur is stupid. I was in a room filled with cigar smoke, and everyone was laughing. The Packers fired LeFleur. He's stupid. <laughs> and right then, we all knew he was stupid. <laughs> okay. Now, since then, he's been winning a lot. Rogers. <laughs> like, can you, can you stop for two seconds, reevaluate the situation, and take it all into account, and recalculate which I know at recalculate is a ridiculous way to put it because you never calculated it to begin with. You just formed an opinion based on, you know, the scuttlebutt around the, around, the, around the country club or whatever. I'm sure he's still got contacts and everything else. And so he just calls up his buddies and they just shoot shop. And a lot of his buddies are probably also guys that are not even in the building anymore. It's old washed up GMs, you know, who are all you know, overly leathered up on the beach you know, he's calling Jimmy Johnson, who's all just burnt to a crisp out there just fishing. Can you believe Matt LaFleur? Like, yeah, who's that again? He's that scrawny guy that the Packers hired. Oh, yeah, 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 that guy sucks. I know, right? Sucks. Totally sucks. Yeah, yeah, he was, uh, he was that, he, he wasn't good that one time, right? Yeah, uh, Tennessee, yeah, 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 yeah. I was right. I made that up. I didn't even know. I don't know who he is. But my plea to you as a Packer fan, before we get into any of the substance, I'll play the clip for you so we know what we're talking about. We'll force ourselves to listen to the garbage, and then we'll address it in a rational, calculated kind of way, and just kind of look at information, and then I'll try to leave it as open-ended as I can for you to just form your own opinion on it, but I mean, the information is what it is. This is on the Pat McAfee Show. Um, I don't know a ton about this show. I pop my head in once in a while when Rodgers is on. But it appears the guy on the left is a Patriots fan, the guy on the right is a Packers fan. And I've seen the guy on the right um, wearing his Packers gear when Rodgers is on. And he's one of, and again, this is a very common thing within Packers fandom, he's, he's basically a Rodgers fan. He's a Rodgers fan first, right? If the team's doing well, it's because of Rodgers. If the team's doing poorly, it's because Rodgers doesn't have any help. Which, those two things, by the way, do not make any sense. 
and yet you, you hold both of them at the same time. It's impossible. If the team is bad, let me rephrase that. If the team is good, and your opinion is the, the entire team outside of Rodgers is bad, but Rodgers makes it good, and then suddenly the Packers aren't good enough and you want more people, why? The people don't do anything. Rodgers does everything. This is a bad roster right now. But Rodgers just makes magic happen because he's magic man. Which, by the way, I'm sorry. I like Aaron Rodgers, and I'm glad he's our quarterback. You guys have a way overinflated view of Aaron Rodgers. It's a little ridiculous. He's a really, 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 really good quarterback. He doesn't block for himself. He doesn't catch for himself. He doesn't make Devontae. He doesn't make his offensive line. Yeah, maybe by stepping up in the pocket. Yeah, okay, got it, right? Oh, well, he gets the ball out of his hand quicker. I can look at the time to throw numbers. Have you looked at it or you just say stupid stuff to say stupid stuff? Lots of quarterbacks get the ball out of their hand faster than Aaron Rodgers does. It's not just a time to throw issue that makes our offensive line look good when really they're trash. We, we've, do you, oh my goodness. Have you never seen Aaron Rodgers have a bad day? Let, let me ask you this then, considering the offensive line is always bad. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, I need to stop and do this in an organized fashion, but it's just the dam has broken and we're out of control now. Has Aaron Rodgers ever had a day where he's under constant duress? Do you remember those days? Do you blame Aaron Rodgers or do you blame the offensive line? You blame the offensive line, don't you? Because again, Aaron Rodgers can do no wrong. If, if you're saying Aaron Rodgers is the reason that the offensive line blocks well, then if the offensive line doesn't block well, that's Aaron Rodgers' fault. That is basic logical deduction, and there's no way around that. And if, if when there's a lot of pressure, you blame the offensive line, then start giving them credit when Aaron Rodgers is not under pressure. But you just you can't do it because you're so obsessed with this narrative that has been force-fed to you by the national media and by Aaron Rodgers, by the way that he is basically the god of the universe. He's the greatest quarterback that the NFL has ever seen, and it is a travesty that we have not seen more Super Bowls because somebody has told you that we should have seen more Super Bowls with no data. I'm the only person that's provided you with any data on that, and I've said we should be around two to three Super Bowls. And guess what? We have two to three Super Bowls, two, between Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. That's what you would expect with MVP caliber, or excuse me, not MVP, Hall of Fame quarterbacks. That was data I used using Hall of Fame quarterbacks. 30 years, two to three Super Bowls. But again, the narrative is Aaron Rodgers is the greatest ever. We should have seen about four or five Super Bowls. But the only reason we didn't is because we have an incompetent bunch of players, incompetent coaches, incompetent GM, incompetent owner. That is a heck of a position to take for a team that has been in the playoffs every single year. Yeah, but they didn't win. Why do you think you automatically win if you have a good team? Every year, there's five, six, seven good teams. Why do the Packers get to win? Why do they go to the front of the line? Why? Because you're a fan? Because you're so unbelievably clouded and deluded in your mind? How many good teams are there? Patriots are really good right now. It doesn't matter. We're good. We should win a Super Bowl. Why? Walk me through that process. You don't have to just make up random crap. Everybody else is terrible. It's just Rodgers. That's, that's so deluded. The head coach is doing a good job. The GM is doing a good job. We have a good offensive line. Maybe not now, but let's look at last year. We have a good offensive line. We have a good group of receivers. We have a good group of running backs. We have good pass rushers. We have at least one good defensive tackle. We have the best corner in football. We have a great safety duo. And we lost in the NFC Championship game. All of those things are true. Because it's football. And stuff happens. Sometimes good teams lose. Do I have to go through the NF- Do I have to go through the scores of this season again? 
Do I have to subject you to that to prove to you the basic reality that you should know by now that watching, you should watch one season of the NFL and recognize this happens. But again, you're so unbelievably biased and deluded in this one opinion. You just forget basic facts. Sometimes the better team loses and that's just the way it goes. Anyways, anyways, again, I, 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 I did such a, a good job being so methodical, spending all this time getting all this data, and I'm ruining it by just running all over the place, leaving all the holes for everybody to just start picking apart. Let's start. I just I think part of it is I don't want to play this. I don't want to listen to this. But um, got to do it, I guess. Whatever. Here's a stupid clip. Talked uh, for the last several weeks on the GM Shuffle about how Rodgers is the MVP, and I, I think you're right. Whether or not he wins it is, you know, a different discussion. But do you think the Packers are better off this year than they were last year? And is Rodgers good enough to basically overcome how shitty their special teams unit is? Well, I mean, I think they're just not as healthy as they were last year, right? So I, I think that's a concern. But, you know, that offensive line, I mean, he covers up for that too. I mean, the two tackles last week, he's got Dennis Kelly over there playing right tackle, and, and he's got some rookie playing left tackle. And, of course, LaFleur, he doesn't give any help to either one of them, you know. He just figures Rodgers will make a throw, you know. Who's chipping on who, right? You know, I mean, early in that game, Robert Quinn was about ready to, to destroy the game. He was going to set the sack leader in the first quarter. He was coming after him so bad. So he covers up so many sins. I mean, it's ridiculous how he does it. It's unbelievable. The throw he made, I text you, Pat, after he made that throw. There's only three people on planet Earth that could make that throw. Like, it was unbelievable. All right, I got to stop it before we get too into this because I don't want too many things to get conflated. Um because all the, the Rogers sycophants are going, yeah, exactly. Only three people can make that. You're probably right. You're probably right. But I'm not arguing that. I'm wanna, I want to address the first part of this. Do you hear how absolutely weird and creepy and just psychotic everything he said was prior to the fact that that was a great throw? And again, it was because I'm not trying to trash Rodgers. I fully acknowledge he's a great quarterback. That's not the point at all. The point is people take it way too far. Aaron Rodgers covers up a bunch of sins. What sins? He's complaining about a game in which we saw, what, nine pressures? Oh, this garbage offensive line where he calls uh, Yash Nyman a rookie, and he's absolutely not. He's been here for years. But again, he doesn't have to do his homework because who cares? And everybody's just chuckling. Hee 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 hee. Lafleur's so stupid. Hee 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 hee. Dude, there, were, there, were, there was no pressure in this game whatsoever. So if he's stupid, think about this for a second. He, it's, it's, it's just, it hurts so bad. His proof that Matt LaFleur is stupid is that he didn't send extra help, which, by the way, we saw wasn't true. One of the highlights that we saw on Twitter that everybody loved, that I loved, was A.J. Dillon coming across the formation and just smoking Robert Quinn. He's like, oh, Robert Quinn looked like he was going to just... Blah, 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 blah. He had three pressures in the whole game. Two of them were sacks. So it was a really high sack rate. He only had three pressures. There were almost no pressures in this entire game. But Matt LaFleur's an idiot because he didn't keep some of those guys in. So instead of, uh, for example, Mercedes Lewis going out and catching some of those big passes, he should have stayed back and blocked nobody because nobody was getting home anyways. That would have made Matt LaFleur a genius. But of course, none of that makes any sense. Matt LaFleur did exactly what he had to do. 
he would have had uh, Michael Lombardi screaming at him that it was a bad plan. Not only him, but the offensive line coaches and the tight end coaches and the offensive coordinator coaches who made up this plan. He would have been screaming that they're idiots for not having more help and not keeping more people back. And guess who would have been wrong? And the fact of the matter is Michael Lombardi, after the fact, could even Monday morning quarterback this thing and pretend that would have been his plan. But he's still outing himself as an idiot, saying we should have kept more people back, even though there was no pressure in this game. In fact, two of the least amount of, of pressures he's seen all season were Chicago, but the least, no, I was, it wasn't even nine. Um, pressures that he saw, San Francisco in week three, he had five, Chicago six. Now, I think it might have been nine because there's a difference between getting a pressure on Rodgers and how many times, how many plays Rodgers saw pressure because if two people get home at the same time, they both get credit for having a pressure, but Rodgers only was pressured once on that play. Six times in this game, six he had 40 dropbacks, only six times he was pressured in this game. And Matt LaFleur is an idiot for how he drew up this game, for this garbage offensive line that Aaron Rodgers gets all the credit for because he covers up all the sins of the offensive line. He covers up all the sins of Matt LaFleur not keeping people back to chip and do all these things, which isn't even entirely true. But even so, if you keep people back, what are they not doing? They're not going out running route catching touchdowns. And we're not scoring 45 points and we might lose this game, Michael Lombardi, you idiot. Aaron Rodgers deserves all the credit in the world for what Aaron Rodgers does. Like throwing beautiful pinpoint passes that nobody else can throw. That's what he deserves credit for. Yash the rookie Nyman deserves credit for shutting down Robert Quinn. Billy Turner deserves credit for what he did in this game prior to getting injured. The offensive linemen, yes, they're a hodgepodge group of backups. They deserve credit for what they did in this game. A.J. Dillon deserves credit, not because, oh, everybody's just so scared. They all just they all just run away because they're so scared of Rodgers. No, A.J. Dillon deserves credit. Aaron Jones deserves credit. Devontae Adams deserves credit. He's the one running the routes. He's the one selling the routes. He's the one catching the passes. I'm so unbelievably sick of everybody on this team getting dismissed and mocked. You got a freaking Packers fan on Pat McAfee's show giggling like a little girl. <laughs> he said my coach is trash. <laughs> Every time somebody puts down this team, every time somebody puts down our offense, our defense, our coach, our GM, oh, some Packer fans, they just get giddy. I have them sending me articles. Look, here's an article from some no-name website talking about how our GM is stupid. Bunch of freaks, dude. And, and through all that, not only are we not giving credit to people that are doing an amazing job, but just this weird creepiness around Aaron Rodgers. It's unbelievable what he does. He covers up sins. I mean, it's funny because we're literally talking about deifying Rodgers in sort of a, like, we don't literally mean you think he's a god, but here he is saying that he's covering up a multitude of sins. It's like, you know, that's an interesting analogy. For, for the leader of the Aaron Rodgers is God fan club, Michael Lombardi. Aaron Rodgers is the most important player on this team. Nobody disputes that. Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks in football right now, nobody disputes that. Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Nobody disputes that. He's not blocking for himself. He's not catching passes. He's not rushing the passer. He's not getting interceptions like Razul Douglas is. We don't win any of these games if it's not for guys like Razul Douglas, if it's not for guys like Eric Stokes getting scrappy, if it's not for guys like Adrian Amos flying in and making goal line stops from midfield, if it's not for guys like Rashawn Gary and Kenny Clark getting 12, 13, Preston Smith with like, what, what did he have, like 15 pressures in this game? 
If it's not for A.J. Dillon just grinding the defense down and Aaron Jones just being such a versatile player, just coming in completely fresh and gashing this team. If it's not for Devontae being one of the smoothest and best route runners in the entire NFL, we don't win. And if it's not for Matt LaFleur coming up with this entire game plan from top to bottom, we don't win. I'm sorry that hurts your feels, but it's true. And the NFL is a team sport. And anybody that doesn't get that is so, you don't understand the very first part about football. We almost lost this game because of special teams. You think it's not a team sport? We almost lost this game because a a fourth string linebacker doesn't know how to tackle. Oh my goodness. You think it's not a team sport? Hello. Let's continue on and see what else this dummy has to say. Everything he does... Just the little things in the second half when he takes the play clock all the way down, he knows the opponents, not the no longer the Bears, it's the clock. I mean, he does things that that most great coaches have to tell you to do, and he does them instinctively. So I think they're going to be hard to play. I think defensively, Kenny Clark went on COVID today. I think that's going to be an issue. But, I mean, he can overcome everything. I mean, he can overcome everything. I, and, look, I don't want to dismiss LaFleur, but, you know, LaFleur's got, what, an 80% winning percentage? I mean, take away that guy. Take away that guy. Here's what I will predict. He may not win. He should be the MVP of the league. I'll say that. But he will be the first $50 million player in the NFL. Michael was a little bit like me on that one where he was trying to make a point and then he kind of got sidetracked and he forgot to go back to his point. But, you know, again, he said, I don't want to disparage – um, Matt LaFleur, but, and he's, he's done this before, right? Every time the Packers do well, they, they beat a, an opponent that Michael Lombardi said he wouldn't be able to beat. He can't beat any of the really intelligent coach, coaches. Well, he's proven he can. And now his, now his fallback is, because again, he, he wants to just put himself in a can't-lose situation. His fallback is, well, it's because Rodgers. Take LaFleur away, and maybe, the re- maybe he was smart enough to stop himself because he knows what the answer to the question is. Take LaFleur away, and what is this team? Well, <laughs> I think we've seen that. I think we've seen that. We saw pre LaFleur and what was the team. And Rodgers was there. This is the part that all the Rodgers sycophants and guys like Michael Lombardi just, they have no answer for. There is just never an answer for this. 2018. Answer 2018. Explain 2018. You can't explain how Rodgers covers up all the sins and how he can overcome everything, like Michael Lombardi said. Obviously, he can't 2018. Matt LaFleur doesn't deserve any credits because of Aaron Rodgers. Explain 2018 to me. Explain 2018 to me. Go back to 2018. And again, 2018 answers all these questions, and it dismisses every all of this stuff, but they just won't stop. They just won't stop. Aaron Rodgers does need help. I'm so sorry to have to tell you that. Aaron Rodgers cannot do it by himself. And you guys know this because Rodgers is always asking for help and you guys are begging, he needs more help, he needs more help. Exactly, exactly. Why does he need help? Because a really great quarterback can't do it by himself. And in order to be a great team, not just a great quarterback, but a great team, you need a great team around him. So guess what? When the team is really good, it's not just because of Aaron Rodgers, it's because of a great team around him. And a great team is assembled by a great GM and a great team comes together. It all molds and gels together because a great team can be a pile of good players that play garbage football, but it all molds together into wins and success with a great coach. This is how football works. This is football 101. The most important piece is the quarterback. The Packers got it. Beyond that, you have to build. What do you need to build? Well, you need to have a, a you need to be able to protect them. So offensive line is important. Defense is incredibly important. 
And you can go down the line to, to what the most important aspects are, but everybody acknowledges this. But, but, but then when certain people want to either hate Gutekunst or hate love or heap praise on Rodgers or dismiss LaFleur or whatever kind of stupid pet project you've got, all of a sudden everybody forgets all these things. Everybody just wants to forget all these things. It's right in front of your face, and you know it. So just stop saying Again, I, I'll never understand, and this is what drives me insane, I'll never understand people who aren't just looking at what reality is. I just want to know what is. I just want to come to the right conclusion. And sometimes it's tough. Sometimes I'm like, I don't really know. I mean, back when um, back when the team was bad, back in 2018, people were saying, is it Mike McCarthy? Is it um, the GM? What is it? And it, it was kind of... It, my conclusion was, I don't know, but it has to be one of the two. Because either Ted Thompson is doing a terrible job bringing in players, or he's bringing in good players and our coaches are doing a terrible job of getting them up to speed. However, and, and, and again, if you think I'm just a bootlick and whatever, I'm not. I'm, I'm a podcaster that's covering a team that almost never loses. So yeah, I'm not usually very angry and hateful toward this team. Go figure. And the fact that you are, maybe you should Flip it around and look back at yourself. However, back in 2018, when we were a bad team, I said it was absolutely reprehensible and unacceptable that both of those guys were keeping their job. I don't know the answer. I don't know if these are bad players coming in or if our coaches are just doing a terrible job of coaching up these players. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but it is unacceptable to allow both of these people to be employed in this building. That was the reality. Because at the end of the day, what I want is for a good team, and we have it. When we didn't have it, I was angry. When we do have it, I'm happy. That's just kind of my thing. I'm weird like that. But I'll never understand the general, the general concept that I'm going to start with what I, what I believe and then work my way back to what the facts are. And I'm going to build out my own facts based on what I believe. You're doing that backwards. You need to just look at the information and then build up toward a conclusion. That's how people who actually care about the truth operate. People that are stuck, like Michael Lombardi, on this is the reality. Aaron Rodgers can do no wrong. Matt LaFleur can do no right. And I have to try to find individual facts to continue to prop these two things up. That is, that is, and again, I'll never understand that. I just don't and cannot understand that. Like, I, I can't mentally comprehend why you would do that. You're choosing to be wrong because of something you want to be. Who cares what you want to be real? What does that matter? It's not. You're, you're, you're choosing to live in a fantasy land, and now you're going to go on national television and argue something that you know is not really true? At least you should know it, unless you believe that you can manifest reality. Now we're getting into super weird territory, but I just, it, it, it's, it's just crazy to me. And again, he, he's not wrong about how intelligent he is, and he can, and a lot of that comes with, with time in the NFL. I mean, that's, I mean, if, if we're going to sit here and say he, he should be here and love shouldn't, because he can read a defense and love can't, or he, he can, he's so mentally acute. Well, d- duh, dude. You know who else can do that? I mean, Brett Favre did it toward the end of his career, incredibly intelligent. Uh, Tom Brady did it, does it. That, that's an experience thing. If that's the case, then we should never, ever draft a quarterback ever. I mean, in, in 10 years, when Rodgers leaves, let's just play along with your fantasy. He's here for 10 years. He's MVP 10 straight years, and we win 10 straight Super Bowls, because that's how that works. Um, he finally decides to retire. Now what do we do? Well, we can't draft a guy because that guy doesn't know anything about how to read an NFL defense. He's he's young. He's stupid. He's not as good as Rodgers, so we shouldn't have him in the building. I, I I just I don't know what to do about that. But yeah, he is pretty intelligent. There are some frustrating times where that guy refuses to ever pay attention to the clock, and we have to waste timeouts literally every single game because he just refuses at this point in his career even to think, hey, um, you got three seconds left. 
Did you know that? I mean, he's one of the worst in the NFL at that. He has to be. But generally speaking, yeah, I mean, he's extremely smart, and we all know that. I mean, even above and beyond experience, that's true, but that's that's a quarterback asset. He's not the only one, but he's he's very good because he's been around a long time. Again, he gets credit for what he does. Not more credit than he deserves, not less credit, just the, the right amount of credit for the things that he does well. But man, the point is, you listen to this show and you would think... If you listen to this show, having never seen Aaron Rodgers, and then go watch Aaron Rodgers, you're going to be disappointed. There's no way you can't be. Because he's going to miss a throw to MVS, which he does like 80% of the time, and it's going to be like, why did he do that? It's like, oh, he does that all the time. He's not, he can't, he can't hit that guy to save his life. Like, I'm sorry, he's not perfect. He's good. He's really good. He's not perfect. (laughs) All right, I I thought we were kind of done, but I got to do this. Again, it just, oh, it's funny that's got some liability in the secondary because of injuries but when you look at when you look at Rodgers I mean he's playing with a backup left tackle you know waiting for Bakari to come back the the right tackle gets hurt last week I'm sorry what was that Mr. Lombardi <laughs> we're, we're waiting for who to come back let's let's listen if he got I don't know what would be what would be fair Tunyon's name, if you called him Tanyan or whatever, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. We're talking about one of the best left tackles in all of football. David Bakhtiari. He called him Bakari. Or what, Bakhtari? And did you, I left in the chuckles because you, you can see every, AJ Hawk, he's got a smirk. Pat McAfee, he's got a smirk on his face. And I think the guys over on the two, you know, the Patriots and Packers, I don't know, probably the Packers guy, I don't know, but start kind of chuckling in the background. Why? Because everybody knows who David Bakhtiari is except this idiot. And they're bringing him on as the resident expert. I'm sorry, this is the most casual fan you'll find. He is a casual among casual fans. Do not, just because guys like this are explaining to you that Aaron Rodgers covers a multitude of sins, my son. Do not go around repeating what this guy says. You're going to make yourself sound stupid. Aaron Rodgers is very good. He deserves credit for what he does. The offensive line deserves credit for what the offensive line does. The coaches deserve credit for what the coaches do. To pretend that we have a incompetent coach, incompetent GM, and a mediocre roster, and Rodgers has risen to overcome that, to give us the greatest team in the NFL. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. That's a fantasy. This is superhero Marvel garbage. This is, this is fake. I mean, they need CGI to make that garbage work, and everybody understands it's not real. There's no dude flying around with a hammer. There's no giant green monster with giant muscles that wants to smash everything. There's no guy that, that can push a button and a suit flies around him, and then he flies around and does stupid stuff because he's a billionaire and can do whatever he wants. Everybody acknowledges that's fake. This is fake. This is fantasy. And every time you repeat it, you're going around telling people that you believe in Bigfoot, right? Everybody acknowledges that is somewhat rational, that this stuff is fantasy. I mean, this is like flat earth territory. This is nonsense, conspiracy theory, craziness. And you really need to stop telling people you believe it. That's it. Anyways, that's, that's just the foundation, <laughs> okay? That, we're already 30 minutes into this, unfortunately. But why don't we go ahead and we'll take a little break. We'll come back and look at some of the data that I compiled. Um, I also want to add in some of the critiques that I saw in reference to that data and some of my retorts to those retorts. But if you'd like to support this podcast, please check out patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. I can tell by not only the podcast numbers, but just the uh, the Patreon, whatchamacallit, uh, things have, have completely died down. I know it's it's pretty rough 
not only because it's December and we got to pay for a Christmas tree and Christmas lights and, and I just spent way, way too much money on presents. Uh, I have not disclosed to my wife that amount yet, but hopefully it'll be okay. Fortunately, I she was the one I spent the most money on, so hopefully we're, we're all good there. But not only that, um, prices on everything are ridiculous right now. Um, rents are through the roof. Cars are through the roof. Groceries are through the roof. I think I saw the average family spent 3500 extra dollars just based on inflation this year. So I get it. I understand. Not mad at you if you got to cancel Patreon or whatever. But if things kind of uptick, things get a little bit better, just don't forget about me. That's what I'm saying. You can join in for as little as a buck a month. It's greatly appreciated. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So I had asked the question, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably know what direction I'm going with this, but I had asked the question, if you remove quarterback from the equation and just rank teams based on their non-quarterback roster, where do you think the Packers would rank? Because this is ultimately the question, right? Aaron Rodgers is dragging this team around and we wouldn't even be a playoff team without him. Now there's two different ways that you can mean that. One is we have a subpar roster. So with an average quarterback, we wouldn't be able to succeed. Aaron Rodgers turns a subpar roster into a great roster, and that's the only reason we look as good as we do. Or you say that by forcing a quarterback that's not very good on the team, which I think is what a lot of people do. And because we don't really define our terms, a lot of these conversations can really devolve. But I want to focus on that first one. What is our roster? 
what on an individual basis uh, level is our roster compared to everybody else's just because I want to dispel the idea that we don't actually have a very good team. What we have is a subpar team with this god of a quarterback that makes everybody look good. And so what did I do? I went through a very painstaking process. I, went, I used PFF as my basis. And the reason I did, because one of the objections was, yeah, but the offensive line wouldn't be as good without Rodgers and the wide receivers wouldn't be as good without Rodgers, et cetera, et cetera. PFF is great because they take all that into account. If you get sacked based on something you did, the offensive line does not get dinged for it. If the ball comes out really quickly, like in two seconds, that is reflected in your PFF on the offensive line's PFF grade. They actually look at those details to decide how much credit you should get, if any. All of the minute details are taken into account. So that argument doesn't really work in this context. Each individual person is graded based on their individual efforts. That's why it's, I, I prefer it to stats, because if Devontae Adams runs a route and he gets wide open and just breaks a guy's ankles and Aaron Rodgers airmails it over his head, it's not, you know, when you look at 0 for 1 for his completions, you know, one attempt, zero complete, or <laughs> one target, zero receptions, that isn't negatively seen on Devontae. He would probably end up getting a positive grade for that play, despite the fact that he's 0 for 1 on his completions, because he didn't obviously drop it. Likewise, if Aaron Rodgers throws a beautiful pass to a receiver and the receiver drops it, although the stats look bad for Rodgers, Rodgers is not going to get a bad grade for that. He will get a good grade. The receiver will get a bad grade because PFF is looking at Aaron Rodgers' accuracy. You know, his, 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 I mean, literally, when you look at the quarterback breakdowns, they show where did the ball end up and they'll grade your throw based on did you throw it in the right area and it goes down the further away it gets from that area. But here's what I did. I went through, first of all, and looked at the individual pieces Um, and I didn't do every single um, player on the team because after a while the the rate of return kind of goes down. In other words, I didn't look at wide receiver three, four, five, but I've I, I looked at every team's quarterback and I took their grades. I took looked at wide receiver one, wide receiver two, running back one, running back two, left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle, tight end, defensive tackle one, defensive tackle two, edge one, edge two, linebacker one, linebacker two, cornerback one, cornerback two, safety one, safety two. Now this is not an exact science. And if I had 32 different people from all 32 different teams to help me with this, this would have been better because what I did want to look at is at full strength because I want to look at, and I shouldn't even necessarily say full strength because I want to know what is this team? And so for example, if David Bakhtiari was out this year and he was not coming back next year, I probably wouldn't have put him on this list. But the fact of the matter is David Bakhtiari is our left tackle. If you just ask a Packer fan, who is the Packers left tackle is David Bakhtiari, right? Whereas if we had like one guy that was a free agent that came in and was like if Razul Douglas came in, played two games, played great, got hurt, and then didn't play again, I wouldn't call him our CB2. You know what I mean? And, and by the way, I didn't. I put Jair as our CB1. I put Stokes as our CB2 because I think in a perfect world, that's kind of where we're at. I don't know like if, if Jair came back today that he that Stokes would be above Razul. He might not. But, but if you look at it in this year's context as well as into the future, I think that is our defense in a nutshell. So again, it's not an exact science. You could go different ways. And obviously, when you look at other teams, they would probably take issue with certain things. I tried my best to get this done within the context or within the time frame of like a year. By kind of digging in a little bit to say, you know, do I give him this player or that player? This guy played three weeks, so he's not their DT1. However, he kind of is. He just got hurt. So again, it's not a perfect science, but 
broad strokes, it's pretty close. But I went beyond that, beyond just those individuals. I then looked at wide receivers, which takes not just one and two, but together as a duo, who has the best duo? Who has the best running back duo? I looked at tackle duo, guard duo, and offensive line as a whole. Then I looked at overall offense, which is just offense in these particular um, positions, obviously, so it doesn't take into account, you know, wide receiver three and et cetera, et cetera. And then the all-important question of what is your offensive grade minus the quarterback? But I didn't stop there. I looked at our defensive tackles, which is one and two. I looked at our edge rushers, one and two. I looked at our defensive line, which is our defensive tackles and edge rushers combined. Then I looked at linebacker duos. I looked at our front, which is defensive tackles, edge rushers, and linebackers combined. Then I looked at cornerbacks. I looked at safeties, which is the the pair of corners, the pair of safeties, and then DBs, which is cornerbacks and safeties combined. Then I looked at our defense combined, which is adding all those things up. Then I looked at overall team, which is the whole team, offense and defense, and then the whole team minus quarterback. So I've got a pretty clear picture on a zoomed in and zoomed out, by the way, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. This is considered extra content. So if you are on the $5 or higher tier, I'm going to put this on there so you can look at it. Not only do I have every single grade, I don't put what player it is. So it's not going to be, you're not going to be able to look at it and say, oh, that's so-and-so player because I don't have a place for that. And it's unnecessary work for what I'm doing. But on the next sheet, if you look at it, I also just broke it down so it's a little bit easier to see. So on this one, you can see the grades, 85, 75, 52, whatever, to give you that context. But if you just want to see rank, I did that on the next sheet over, 1 through 32, where we rank. So those are the two things that I spent a lot of time working on, and I want to go through that. Because again, I went on Twitter and I asked everybody, where do you think we rank, if you had to guess? And I think most people were relatively correct, but... um, at the, at, you know, at, I think ultimately people need to see it and they need to hear it and they need to to kind of really let it sink in. Because I do think there's a feeling, and, and there's even a part of me that says, I, I mentally I get that we have a good roster, but I still feel like if Rodgers leaves and a new quarterback comes in, we're probably going to suck. But that doesn't, that doesn't work because I think what we're doing is we're forcing a quarterback in there. Which again is the second part. Like, well, we saw our team with love against Kansas City, and that wasn't a great offense, and so that's just what we would be without them. First of all, we almost won that game. Second of all, looking at love in that context, which we're going to get into that a little bit more, not the best way to do it. So we'll go through this, but but as you're thinking about it, don't put a quarterback in that spot. Or if you do, what you have to do is put a no-name, no-face quarterback that is neutral for all teams. So you can't put Kansas City with Mahomes there, and then us with Love or whatever. Because again, now we're comparing quarterbacks, and what we're trying to look at is the team without quarterbacks. What are the Chiefs with, who is the most mediocre quarterback in the NFL? I mean, with, with let's say everybody has golf. Every single team in the NFL has golf. And he's probably subpar, not mediocre, but that's that's a good way to think about it. Because now all of a sudden, you don't see Tampa Bay as a dominant football team. They have freaking golf as their quarterback. The Chiefs are not dominant. They have golf, right? A lot of teams fall apart. So again, as we go through this, think about all these teams, but also with golf. Let's start with quarterback, though. Um, may not surprise you, Aaron Rodgers is not the number one quarterback in football. Now, he is climbing because he had a really slow start to the season. If we look at things in terms of uh, most recent history, maybe he is number one. And I do want to do that because we've got several players that are starting to hit their stride, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but anyways, Aaron Rodgers right now for the season is ranked 7th. 
Um, as of right now, overall quarterback play, Buffalo, Arizona, Minnesota, the Chargers, the Bengals, and Tampa Bay have better quarterbacks. So again, the whole Godgers thing, granted he makes some great throws and everything else, he's not a deity. He's a very good quarterback, and there's a lot of very good quarterbacks in the NFL, right? And, and I think part of what makes Rodgers so good is he's always at the top, whereas you'll have guys like Joe Burrow or whatever that kind of come and go, although it's only his, what, second or third year or whatever. So it's very possible he stays forever as a good quarterback that nobody's talking about. But does he make the team better? Of course, just like Tom Brady made Tampa Bay relevant. They were a garbage football team. They kind of are a garbage football team without Tom Brady. And if you remove Tom Brady, they're not as good. They're still good, but not as good. How about wide receiver one, right? Because now now what we're doing, we're not talking about quarterback anymore. We're looking at the rest of the roster without Aaron Rodgers. Wide receiver one, the top guy. And and, and even this gets a little bit dicey because sometimes in, on some teams, your number one player compared to your number two player is not as good as your number two player. So it's like, well, should I switch him or how do I handle that? I don't know. I just kind of left it. If you call this guy your primary, then he's your primary. And just because you got a guy who's better, I'm sorry, that's, you know, is what it is. The Green Bay Packers, probably not surprisingly, are number one in the NFL at having wide receiver. And that's not, we can't just pretend that's not a big deal. It absolutely is a big deal. The New England Patriots rank 24th on this list for number one wide receiver. Chargers, 13th. Arizona Cardinals, 14th. Believe it or not, 14th. Hopkins not having his greatest year ever. How about wide receiver two, right? This is where we should absolutely fall off. Packers outside of Devontae have the worst group of uh, wide receivers in football. Actually, we rank 13th when you look at wide receiver twos compared to wide receiver twos, 13th. It's not that bad at all. San Francisco, Indy, Pittsburgh, Denver, Buffalo, Philadelphia, the Jets, Baltimore, Cleveland, Jacksonville, Chicago, New Orleans, Las Vegas, Kansas City, Atlanta, Washington, Houston, Detroit, and Carolina all have worse number two wide receivers. It ain't that bad. Could we do better? Can we find an improvement? Sure, why not? But it ain't that bad. RB1, and I believe I actually put A.J. Dillon here. He does have more carries. He's also the higher graded running back pretty much in every respect. As weird as it sounds, he is our RB1 right now. Um, We rank third. So top 10 quarterback, number one uh, running back, number three, or number one wide receiver, number three running back. I feel like we're doing pretty well. But Indy and Atlanta are the only two. Surprisingly, Cordero Patterson, I don't know where that came from. Cordero Patterson is the number one running, and it's not small sample size. Like, he's just friggin' tearing it up right now. I don't I don't know how that happened or what's going on in the universe, but that's a thing. Um, but yeah, top three with A.J. Dillon and, and climbing because he's really just starting to hit his stride. If you look at more recent history, he's by far the number one running back in football, which is awesome because I made a a uh, YouTube video last year about the top five rookie running backs. And I had AJ Dillon like second or third. I think it was second and everybody lost their mind. He's now the number one running back from that class or any others, including ahead of uh, Jonathan Taylor, who's also one of the top running backs in football. How about RB2? Who is the best RB2 in football? That would be uh, number five. Aaron Jones is the fifth best RB2 in football. New England, Chicago, Cleveland, and Dallas are ahead of us. For example, for context, because that's going to upset some people, Dallas is one of those situations. Ezekiel Elliott is actually not having a very good year. If you look at his grades, he's actually quite a bit lower than Pollard, but I still put Ezekiel Elliott as the number one because he's clearly their number one, right? He's the guy that gets the most action. He's the one they lean on, they rely on. But Pollard actually has a much higher grade. So if you look at RB1, 
Dallas is actually quite low because Ezekiel Elliott grades quite low compared to the best running backs in football. Now, as we look at offensive line, again, I'm kind of taking some liberties and saying, let's fix the offensive line with the guys that we think should be here. With David Bakhtiari, I kind of, I gave him a lower grade than he had last year, but just kind of averaged over the last several years. I gave him an 86 overall grade because I felt that was fair. That puts him third in the NFL. Dallas has a night. Dallas's offensive line is out of control right now. Has a 91.7, and San Francisco has one of the best football players in the history of PFF at a 99 overall grade. I've never seen that in my life. I've seen Aaron Donald get a 99 in a game before, and it freaked me out because I've never seen that. This guy has a 99 for the season. I've never, ever in my life seen anybody with a 99 overall grade for the season unbelievable what San Francisco has on their left tackle right now. But anyways, again, third. So pretty much top five in just about every single category with the exception of wide receiver two, which is seen as this massive blot where we're still top half, right? So even, and again, this this all just comes down to people underestimating, right? Maybe some people think Devontae's number one. Most people, if you go outside of Green Bay, would say Devontae's like top three. No, he's number one. If you ask about our wide receiver two, they'd probably say we're somewhere in the bottom five. We're not. We're top half. RB1, nobody respects Packers running backs. I mean, some people kind of like Dylan because he's big, and they, they know Aaron Jones is pretty good, but nobody puts them in the same category as Ezekiel Elliott, who's not even having a good year, or any of these other big names. They would probably put Clyde Edwards-Alaire well above both of our running backs, when in reality, they're both like top five. RB1, top five. RB2, top five. Tackle, top three, roughly. At left guard, I just put Elton Jenkins at left guard. Third overall, Tampa Bay and Cleveland are the only two that are above Elton Jenkins, 82.3 overall grade. Again, just all the way down the line. At center, I put Josh Myers. This is one of the only times when our guy is really, really low. Josh Myers has a 60.9 overall grade, which is actually higher than the center we actually are using right now. So um, I did plug him in. 60.9 is not bad, but there's just a lot of really good centers this year. Um, So we're 25th in the NFL at center. Um, Certainly not going to go through the whole list of of teams that are better, but there you go. So far, that's the only area where we're below average. Right guard would be number two. Um, I believe I use Lucas Patrick because that's just kind of where we're at right now. Again, 62.4, not the worst in the world, but there are a lot of better right guards in football. We're 22nd. So center and right guard. All right, how about right tackle and Billy Turner? Well, Billy Turner is a, where is he at? 65.9. Again, so we've got 60s across the board. 60.9 at center, uh, 62.4 at right guard, 65.9 at right tackle, but again, 21st in the NFL. So, you know, and I've mentioned, and by the way, this is a great sheet. If you're into the draft and stuff, this is going to be extremely useful to you to see where people rank for their teams. I'm going to have a lot of fun with this when I do mock drafts and everything else. It kind of stinks because I'm going to have to redo this after the season, but it's still a really good resource. And when I do, I will put it on Patreon. And I'm also, I have a really big um, NFL draft uh, Facebook group. I'm going to solicit their help or somebody's help to uh, help me with these other teams and just say, who is your, you know, tackle of the future, et cetera, et cetera. Going forward, who are your guys going to be? It's going to be sweet, man. I should just do a draft guide, man. And this will be one of the things in the draft guide. That would be so awesome. I'll sell it. But like, if you're on Patreon, you get it for free. You know what I mean? Man, it'd be kind of cool. But center, right guard, right tackle, and none of them have bad grades, but they all rank below average. So that's that's not super great, right? Not catastrophic. Certainly not worst team in football territory, but it is what it is. Um, tight end. 
I have us at seventh. Now, there are some times where you look at it and you say, okay, who do you put here? Because they're kind of one-to-one. Usually, or not usually, every single time, if, if, the, if it could go either way, I just gave the team the best player. And in this case, I put Mercedes Lewis. Now, I probably should have put Tunyon in there because long-term, he's probably going to be the guy, but I don't know if he's going to be the guy or not. And I don't know what Mercedes Lewis, I thought he was going to be gone the last two years and he keeps coming back. He's doing great right now, so I just took the liberty of putting him in there seventh. That puts us seventh at tight end. So again, top 10. So we, we went through our three of below average, but once again, we're right back in top 10. What about defensive tackle and Kenny Clark? Well, that puts us at 16th, which again, everybody's going to say that can't possibly be. Kenny Clark has a 72.7 overall grade, which is a good grade, but there's a lot of good tackles out there. But that puts us right smack dab in the middle. We know Kenny Clark isn't a bad football player. Nobody's upset about Kenny Clark. And if we look at our DT2, and I'm not sure who that is, I'm guessing Kingsley Kiki is who I went with, 60.4 overall grade. Actually, I don't think I put Kingsley because I had to go with Lowry because he was our clear number two. Kingsley Kiki actually has a much higher grade, but I didn't want to just put him in there because as of right now, Lowry is our number two. So I kind of had to give us the lower on that. I think if Kings, uh, let me look at what Kingsley's grade is to see where we would be if he was the guy. So we would be 15th instead of whatever I just said we were. So not not massively better, but it's still, it would be better. So defensive tackles, not the greatest, right? If we're talking draft, this would probably be an area where we could improve, but we're still right in the middle and we'll get to the, the groups in a minute, but it's not terrible. There's, the, the point is there's no area that I've looked at so far with the exception of maybe if you look at the center to right portion of our offensive line, and that assumes that our center who is a rookie, Josh Myers, doesn't improve at all, which is somewhat unlikely and whatnot. Outside of that, I mean, it's it's either we're top five or kind of mediocre. How about our edge number one? I don't remember which one I used here, but seventh. Again, top 10. Number seven overall edge rusher number one. I think it's Rashawn, but I'm not positive. Could be Preston because Preston's just killing it right now. So I don't know which grade is higher, and I think they have similar snaps, so I kind of went either way with it. But 83.3 overall grade, he's in, so, and that's the thing, edge one, you're in competition with guys with 90, I mean, the Watts and the Bosa's and guys with just 90, uh, Miles Garrett and all these freaks, still seventh. What about edge number two? We're fifth with a 79 overall grade, 79.9 overall grade. We have the fifth best edge two in football. How about linebackers with Devondre Campbell, number two behind only Dallas? And the only reason Dallas is ahead of us is because of Micah Parsons, who's being used mostly as a pass rusher. Actually, outside of being a pass rusher, he's a garbage football player. He's not a very good linebacker at all, but he is just, he's one of the best pass rushers in football right now. But he's still considered a linebacker. He's still playing a lot as a linebacker. A lot of his blitzes come from the linebacker spot, although he does get put at outside line. So I don't know when that official switch is going to happen, but I decided to leave him at linebacker because that's still what he's considered at this point. You can move it if you want. It doesn't matter. That would make us number one as opposed to number two. Point is, we're, we're and, and by the way, it's very close. Uh, Micah Parsons has an 83.9 overall grade. Uh, Devondre Campbell has an 83.1. The next highest, 79.7. So we're, we're right there. Linebacker two, another area where we would assume that we would just completely fall off, but what you're underestimating is how garbage most linebackers are. So when you get to the second linebacker, almost nobody has a good second linebacker. Uh, we actually rank 15th. I don't even know who I used. I have no idea. It was probably Chris Barnes. I don't know, but 15th. He has a 54 overall grade, and that's still above average. 
If we look at from starting from the bottom, um, 28, 34, 33, 39, 41, 41, 43, 44, 44, 44, 46, 46, 49, 49. Uh, you have to get all the way to 18th before you even get into the 50s with linebacker twos. So there's not a lot of good linebackers in the NFL. We're doing great at linebacker right now. As weird as that sounds, and I don't exactly know what the future holds for us at linebacker, who's staying, who's going. We got to figure all that out. But as of right now, we have a good group of linebackers. At cornerback, and again, this one's a little dicey because we haven't hardly had Jair all year, but CB1, I have us 10th. I know people are going to be mad. No, he should be number one because he was number one last year. He went out this year with a 75 overall grade. Well, that's not fair because he was better last year. Okay, but if we look at his grades, and this is what I would have done for any other team, his grades 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021 are 72, 71, 90, 75. It feels like regression to the mean, doesn't it? Now, maybe that's just, maybe that's ridiculous and he would stay in the 90s or it would be closer to like an 88 or whatever. I don't know. But all I know is when I look at these four years, 75 makes sense for Jair because that's what he's been every year except this one really good year. I don't know. So I'm just leaving it at 75. I don't know. If you want to bump it up, bump it up. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Just further proves the point I'm trying to make anyways. But even at a 75, he's still a top 10 cornerback. Now, CB2 with Stokes, uh, we're down to 25th, which is one of the worst of uh, any cornerback, obviously. And again, a lot of people are probably going to want to protest that, that he's been a really good corner. I don't know. He's got a he's got a 60 overall grade. Apparently, there's just a lot of good CB2s in football because a 60 overall grade, I wouldn't think, is 25th, but it is. Safety, number one overall, I believe, I don't even know anymore. I don't, because Amos had a couple bad games. Maybe it's Savage now. I don't remember. But safety, number one, 10th. So top 10 at safety. Safety two, 13th. So a good group of safeties. Now, again, it's kind of dry information as we go through this. And you look at it and go, okay, but you're, you're not even proving your point. Because even though we got a couple good ones, we got some bad ones in there too. Every team does though. If you look at Tampa Bay, their wide receiver one ranks 10th. Their RB1 ranks 13th. Their RB2 is 25th. Um, DT1 in Tampa Bay is 26th. Their second edge rusher is dead last in the NFL. Their second linebacker is 30th in the NFL. If you look at Arizona, there's not a whole lot good in Arizona. Like the entire roster, you want to talk about a roster that's basically just their quarterback? How about 14th overall wide receiver one? How about 16th overall RB2, 16th overall left tackle, 13th left guard, 28th overall center, 29th right guard, 28th right tackle, 17th tight end, 18th edge one, 14th edge two, 16th LB uh, linebacker one, 23rd LB2, 16th CB1, uh, 14th and 19th are their safeties. I mean, the whole team is just kind of mediocre to subpar. The entire roster. Here you got Green Bay. I don't... I, I need to look at this if, if anybody even has as many as Green Bay has. Number one, number three, number five, number three, number three, number seven, number seven, number five, number two, number 10, number 10. The, num- the number of top tens is, is crazy. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 12 top tens. Tampa Bay has 13. And, and a big part of that is their entire offensive line is great. Arizona has five. Five categories that are in top 10. Buffalo has seven. New England also just has 12. LA has 12. The Packers have seven top fives. Buffalo has one. Arizona has one, and it's their quarterback, and he's number five. It's a pretty good roster, but let's let's continue on here. Looking at wide receivers as a group, the Green Bay Packers rank fourth. 
Again, top five. Wide receiver duos, not just Devontae, but duos. The only better duos are Minnesota, LA, and Tampa Bay. That's it. How about running back duos? The Green Bay Packers are second behind only Cleveland. Tackle duos, Packers 10th, top 10. Guard duos, 7th, top 7. Offensive line, even with those three bad offensive linemen, the Packers still rank 13th on offensive line. Just outside of the top 10, into the top half of the NFL. Offense overall, which is all these things, not the groups, but all the individual things combined, the Packers have the fourth highest ranked offense. Okay, but remove the quarterback. Oh, I'm glad you asked. Without Aaron Rodgers, we drop to sixth. That's it. Sixth. We don't drop to 30th. We don't drop to 25th. We don't drop to 19th. We drop to to sixth. From fourth to sixth. So look at our defensive tackle group, 16th. Right smack dab in the middle, right, right at average. How about edge rusher duo? Third in the NFL behind New Orleans and Dallas. Third. How about defensive line that looks at defensive tackles and edge rushers? The Packers are seventh. Seventh best defensive line. Linebackers, fourth behind Dallas, Cleveland, and New Orleans. And that's it. And again, probably largely because of Micah Parsons. Cleveland, by the way, is shocking because I remember that was one of their worst units and they really turned that around. Kudos to them. How about front, which looks at defensive tackles, edge rushers, and linebackers? Your front. Packers have the fourth best defensive front in football. Not 32nd, not covered by the sin, covered their sins by the graces of Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers isn't sending out magic from the sidelines. Cornerback duo, 16th, average. Not one, by the way, when you look at groups, not once are they below average. Not even below average, not one. Safety duo, 11th. And again, this is for the season. We're not even looking at what they've done recently, where they're at. This takes into account their really bad games to start the season, all that, because I don't want to do it for everybody. DBs, corners and safeties, where do they rank 10th? Again, top 10 DBs in the NFL. How about overall defensive rank? When you put all that together, the Packers defense ranks third. LA and New Orleans are the only two that have defenses with higher grades. If you look at overall team, The overall team grades, which is each individual thing combined and averaged out, we're tied with LA for second. New England is the only team with a better grade. And by the way, it's actually a three-way tie between uh, LA, Green Bay, and Dallas. But the, the difference in grade between New England and the Packers and Dallas and LA, New England, 74.22. The Packers, 74.02. That's it. <laughs> That's the whole thing. 0.2 is the difference. Now the final metric. Where do the Packers rank without Aaron Rodgers fourth? They drop from tied in second to fourth. Again, it's two spots. Just like it was on offense, they dropped from what, fourth to sixth? Overall, they dropped from second to fourth. And the difference between first place and fourth place, by the way, is we have a 70.06 overall grade for our team Number one in New England, 70.27. Again, 0.21 point difference. That's it. That's the whole thing. So again, if you if you want to say, well, take away Aaron Rodgers, fine, but we're not just taking away Aaron Rodgers and putting him against Tom Brady and 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 Pat Mahomes and everybody else. If we're removing quarterbacks, we're removing all the quarterbacks. All the quarterbacks go away, and then we replace those with a neutral quarterback. You pick the quarterback. Well, if you put Aaron Rodgers over in Kansas City, then Kansas City would be even better and we would lose to Kansas City. Well, not based on this. We have a better roster than they do. We have a better team than Kansas City does, not including quarterback. Well, you put Aaron Rodgers over with the 
the Colts, and they would be the best team in football. Maybe. But they wouldn't be as good as Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. The only teams that you could make that case for, LA, Dallas, and New England. New England by a mile, by the way, because they have the best non-quarterback roster in football, and their quarterback is pretty mediocre. That is the one team where if he went to New England, that would just be the that would be horrible. It would be what probably was when Tom Brady was there. <laughs> so there's that. So again, it's just not reality that we have a bad roster. We have one of the best rosters in the NFL, not including Aaron Rodgers. So that whole trope needs to go away. Now, if you're doing the second thing where you're saying, where, where you're just assuming if Rodgers leaves, Jordan Love comes in, and then you look at the roster based on that, then what you're saying is, we're assuming Jordan Love is just a terrible quarterback, and we would be bad with a terrible quarterback. First of all, every team in football would be bad with a terrible quarterback. So that's not a reflection of our GM, of our head coach, of our offensive line, wide receivers, def- defense as a whole. It's not a reflection of anything other than you are trying to make a point by by putting a bad quarterback on this roster, and that's kind of ridiculous. But if we're, if we're trying to to stick in the realm, because because the only, here's the thing, everybody wants to try to make my point for me, right? They want to disagree with me by adding things to it. All I said was, our roster, our coach, our GM deserve credit because it's a great team even without Aaron Rodgers. I'm not talking about fielding a team with Justin. I'm just saying, based on evidence and facts, the roster stands alone. The, the offensive line, the wide receivers, all these individual pieces combined are one of the best in football. That is not disputable. And so what people like to do is they say, okay, well, put Justin Fields at the helm and we would lose and therefore you're wrong. I never made that case. You're, you're trying to take it to another level. You're making a different case for me that I never made. I never said, we're going to win a Super Bowl with Jordan, with Jordan Love. That never came out of my mouth. But again, people get so mad at what I'm saying because they don't like that I just don't buy into this Aaron Godgers nonsense that they try to put words in my mouth and make my, you know, it's a straw man. You, you make a case for me and then defeat the case that I never made. That's, there's been a ton of straw man arguments out there. But okay, let's address the thing that's driving everybody nuts. Um, and there's, there's varying degrees to this, so I'm not going to just condescend to everybody at the same time about the same, same thing. I'll admit, I was a little bit nervous by what I saw in Kansas City. But some people want to make that the definitive, and, and I, I know because people have told me that. Oh, you think Jordan Love's going to be good? Did you see that Kansas City game? Here, here's the thing. This is why I, I really despise the dishonesty. And, and a lot of that came from Bears fans, but some of it is from, from Packer fans. Tell me this honestly. If I were to say, as I, as I have to some degree, that we know Justin Fields is a garbage quarterback and the Bears are doomed because of the way that he performed this year, 1,585 yards, six touchdowns, 10 interceptions, he's a bad quarterback, he's always going to be a bad quarterback, Bears suck, haha. What would be the automatic retort, not just from Bears fans, but from a lot of Packer fans and everybody else? That is a stupid take. It's his first year, he's a rookie, he needs time to develop. And it's a bad situation. He was under constant duress. And did you see how many pressures he had? Terrible offensive line, et cetera, et cetera. If I try to do that to Jordan Love, the same people will come at me and say, how dare you? How is it that Jordan Love gets an entire season and we have to just sit here and go, well, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We don't know. It's only been one whole year. He's only played in 11 games and taken 306 dropbacks. We don't really know yet. Jordan Love has been in on two games and had 47 total dropback, only actually played played in one game. But I'm supposed to accept that you have drawn a conclusion on Jordan Love. And people get so mad if you say, we don't know yet. Are you kidding me? Did you even watch that game? That's where you get these, uh, these wannabe scouts. Use your eyes, bro. I watched him. I saw him, bro. 
I saw his footwork, saw the arm angles, man, saw the accuracy. I could tell. I could tell he's not it. <laughs> These are the same people that, that'll watch one game of like a college player and just that's that's their opinion. Which, by the way, I do that, but I at least acknowledge like I, I have no idea. First of all, I would have to know what I'm looking at and I don't. Second of all, I would need to watch a lot more than just one game. In fact, a lot of these, you know, I don't mean this disparagingly, but literally wannabe scouts. In other words, people that I, you know, like Mark Jarvis. He's a guy that works really hard. I respect Mark Jarvis. He's an intelligent guy, but he is a quote-unquote wannabe. It's what he wants to be. He's a he's a scout. He's putting himself into that position. He'll even watch like, I think he watches three games of a prospect. And even that is like three games though? Are you sure? Like, what if you watch his three worst or his three best? Or, you know, how do you, how do you know you're getting the an, the most accurate picture? The guy's probably played, what, if he's been playing three years? He might have played 30 and you're watching three? It's part of the problem with Jordan Love. And by the way, national people do this too. And the problem with Jordan Love is his best year was the year before he his last year of college. If you want to see what Jordan Love does best, you look at him in, I think, what, 2018? But people will watch two games, you know, they'll go over to YouTube. And if you type Jordan Love into YouTube, you know what you'll find? His number one college tape is his game against LSU where he had like four picks. You know why? Because it's freaking LSU. They were down 50 points and he's throwing 50-50 balls to his own guys, trying to make some kind of a comeback. And lo and behold, big shock of the universe, his wide receivers were no match for the LSU DBs who ended up winning those 50-50 competitions. But, but just just st- before I even give, give you this information, which you already saw on Twitter if you follow me on Twitter, but before I even give you this, ask, ask yourself this question honestly. Are you really being rational by pretending that one game against Kansas City tells us everything we need to know about Jordan Love? Even if he didn't face those set of circumstances, let's pretend that he didn't have a game in which there was zero rushing ability, where, where the Packers' running ability was zero. Let's pretend he wasn't under constant duress and had about two seconds to throw every single play, every single down. Let's pretend those things weren't real. Let's just say it was his first game, he had protection, the run game was there, but he just wasn't quite hitting his receiver. The accuracy wasn't great, decision-making wasn't great. Would you be able to sit here and say you know for sure that he's going to be a bad quarterback? Of course not. That's stupid. I watched Justin Fields on his first game and he was terrible and I laughed at him and it was funny. But under no, in no way did I think, now I know. I know everything I need to know. Did you see that? Did you see those throws? He had terrible throws. He made terrible decisions. He threw a lot of interceptions that I'm looking at going, dude, what was that? Even This last game, which is what, his 11th, 12th game, whatever I just said it was? Against the Packers, listen to Bears fans. What are they saying about Justin Fields? Dude, you got to know you can't throw that. He's, you're staring your guy down, and you got a guy standing there. That's, a, that's an interception. Anybody on planet Earth that's ever played quarterback for five seconds knows you don't throw that pass. There's a guy just sitting there waiting to pick it off, and you're staring him down. And you threw it anyways. I mean, you got to be smarter than that at this point. Are they giving, Are Bears fans giving up on Justin Fields? No. But Packer fans have already given up on Jordan Love. Why? Because Aaron Rodgers is God. And to even suggest that Jordan Love should be anywhere near this team is just blasphemous. I really think it just comes down to people want to push him out. They want to make Kansas City a bigger deal. They want to know for sure for sure that Jordan Love is no good. They were probably borderline. Some people I know were happy that Jordan Love was terrible in this game because they're so angry that he was ever drafted. Because in their minds, Aaron Rodgers should be here for the next 10 years, which is physically impossible. Or even five years is relatively unlikely, but it's a pretty short term. And by drafting Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers is going to leave as a result. 
as if there are no other factors here. And by the way, as if drafting Jordan Love isn't because of Aaron Rodgers wanting to leave for several years, being unhappy and disgruntled, et cetera, et cetera. But again, you got to leave that all aside. If you actually want to be correct on this issue, you have to analyze it by itself, not with your bias just gnawing at you. You can't sit here and look at it and go, well, I don't know if he's going to be bad in his second game, second year, whatever. And yes, I said second year because I, I, I don't even want to go down that path because it's so stupid. It's so stupid to pretend like he's he's been here for two years. He should be a second-year quarterback. That's so stupid. Yes, he's he's been sitting on the bench watching football like the rest of us. I've been sitting here watching Aaron Rodgers for over a decade. Guess what? I'm not very good at playing football. But anyways, let's let's just get into the data because it's, I, I don't, I don't, I could go down this path forever. And again, a lot of people hated this information because they they thought I was trying to make a case I wasn't, or they're just trying to put words in my mouth to dismiss what I'm saying. But Jordan Love saw 19 pressures in this game. 19 of his 39 dropbacks, he was under pressure. The reason I brought in Aaron Rodgers was twofold. Let, let me read the stat or what I had said so that people know what I'm talking about. Here's what I said in the tweet. The most pressure Rodgers has seen in the last two years was 18 pressures, week six against Tampa Bay. He had a 44 overall grade, 160 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Jordan Love saw 19 pressures against Kansas City, had 190 yards, one touchdown, and an interception. A lot of people didn't like that because, well, you shouldn't compare Jordan Love to Rodgers. You're saying that they're just as good as each other. Did I say that? Did anybody hear me say Jordan Love is just as good as Aaron Rodgers because they both did bad when they were under pressure a lot. That that doesn't those that's not even a rational conclusion you could draw if you took what I said as gospel and said and and decided to retweet this and say see Jordan Love is as good as Rodgers I would correct you and say that's not what this says. But some people are claiming that that's the case I'm trying to make either because they're just trying to dismiss it or because they're just not very good at rational deduction. Secondly, is saying that I'm comparing Kansas City and Tampa Bay. I'm not. I never said Kansas City is as good as Tampa Bay. I said that the pressures are the same. Pressure is pressure is pressure. 18 pressures, Rodgers didn't handle it well. 19 pressures, Love didn't handle it well. That's it. That's the whole thing. I'm pointing out that it's hard to play when you're under pressure. And Jordan Love, in his first ever play, his first ever time playing a football game for the Green Bay Packers, saw more pressure than Rodgers has seen in the last two years. It's context. Because if I just say 19 pressures, even if you'd have just said it to me, I'd have been like, is, is that a lot? I don't know. The answer is yes. Justin Fields has only seen more pressure than that once. It was against the Packers, by the way. Justin Fields, and, and the reason I bring that up isn't because I just hate Justin Fields. What is the narrative about Justin Fields? It's unfair. He has the worst offensive line. He's constantly running for his life. Every single game that he has played, Justin Fields, he has had better protection except once than Jordan Love had in his one game. And, and people want to, well, it's because they ran all out blitzes. Yeah. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. The pressure got there. Well, Kansas City is a garbage defense. Well, then why did the pressure get there? Is it the offensive line's fault? Did they sabotage this? You explain that to me. Why are you trying to explain this away? The guy didn't perform well in a game in which he saw an unprecedented amount of pressure. That's the only point I'm making. Well, Rodgers would have handled it better. No kidding. Just, oh, I'm not saying they're the same quarterback. I acknowledge Rodgers probably would have handled all-out blitzes better. Not my point. 
Aaron Rodgers has been in the league for 5,500 years. Yes, he knows how to handle those things a little bit better. He probably would have made a check at the line to Devontae when when he sees extra pressure coming to tell Devontae, hey, extra pressure's coming. Here's the route I want you to run. We're going to check out of that last play. We're going to go into this new play, and I'm going to have you do this so I can dump the ball off to you quickly. Jordan Love didn't know how to do that. What does that mean? Does that mean he's a bad quarterback? Do you think Aaron Rodgers in his first ever start as a rookie would have been able to do that? Or do you think maybe he would have struggled against 19 pressures? Aaron Rodgers played against New England his first year as a rookie. It was his second game, just like Jordan Love. He had a 29 overall grade, which is just like Jordan Love at a 30 overall grade. You know how many times he saw pressure? Nine. Nine times. He was 4 of 12, 32 yards, 2.7 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, zero big-time throws, one turnover-worthy play, nine times he was pressured. Now, as a percentage, that's relatively high because he only had 17 dropbacks. So he saw a lot of pressure on his outing, didn't perform very well, probably because he didn't know what to do because he's a rookie. And with experience, you learn how to handle those kinds of things. And not only that, you have to develop a rapport with Devontae. The fact that Rodgers can look at Devontae and do a couple hand signals and Devontae's like, yep, I got it. You're telling me that that guy's coming hot and you want me to change my route to this so that when he comes in hot, then I could da-da-da-da-da-da. Does Jordan Love have that rapport with, with Devontae? Does he know how to communicate those things to Devontae? No, he does not. Jordan Love doesn't need to know how to be Aaron Rodgers, otherwise he's garbage. That is irrational. That is not how thinking works. And, and again, I understand the vast majority of people listening to me understand this, and I am not in any way making a case that Jordan Love is a good football player. What I'm saying is we have no information. We have no information. We have one game where he didn't perform well, and in that game, he saw an unprecedented amount of pressure. Maybe that's Jordan Love's fault for not knowing how to handle it and not knowing you know, how to, how to make some reads and, and adjustments and all these kinds of things. Maybe it's Matt LaFleur's Lef- fault for not making adjustments and just flat out telling him, listen, they're going to bring this guy. And I expect you to do this. Or, or Devontae maybe could have told him something. Or maybe we run the ball a little more. Remember that whole thing where uh, our quarterback wasn't in the game and we were actually running the ball quite well and we just abandoned the run and decided Jordan needs to throw every down? Maybe that's Matt LaFleur's fault a little bit. I don't know. I don't know exactly. But I know that that was a, a complete disaster. And I know that it doesn't give me a lot of information about Jordan. I also know that down the stretch... He looked pretty good those last two drives, and we almost won the game. That one pick that he threw, if that was a touchdown instead of a pick, we win 14-7. Again, butterfly effect, I don't know if that actually happens, but just think about that. His grade is much better because he didn't throw a pick, he threw a touchdown. And and it, it was essentially two drives down. So he finally settled in, despite the fact, and by the way, it's kind of impressive that the guy was able to settle in in a game in which pressure was just nonstop all day. He finally started somehow in that environment to settle in. His final two drives were great drives. One of them, he got us all the way down to the goal line, threw a pick. The second one, we got all the way down to the goal line, threw a touchdown. Maybe that's backwards. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I forgot the game, but it's not that bad, man. But yeah, he's under pressure 42.6% of his dropbacks. He was 5 of 15, 75 yards and a touchdown while under pressure. Do you remember that throw to Mercedes Lewis? That is one of the, and that's the thing, if that highlight was an Aaron Rodgers highlight, that would have been all over ESPN. That would have been all over Pat McAfee. You would have heard Michael Lombardi just foaming at the mouth, just twitching on the floor about Aaron Rodgers and how only one quarterback in, in football can make that throw. Except it was Jordan Love that did it, so nobody cares. Nobody cares. So stupid. Anyways, one final thing here, because there was a good retort to this, and that is that Kansas City, and and, and again, I kind of already addressed it, right? Aaron Rodgers probably would have handled it better, but I do want to bring it up. The difference is 
Tampa Bay won by rushing four, and Kansas City brought everybody. Meaning, Aaron Rodgers in that game, and again, this 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 whole conversation doesn't matter because it, I wasn't trying to make this point. However, I do need to correct him anyways because it's not entirely correct. The idea that Tampa rushed four, meaning they could keep everybody in coverage, which means not only was Aaron Rodgers under duress, but he had nowhere to throw because of all the coverage. Whereas Kansas City, they blitzed everybody, so there should have been everybody was wide open, so he should have been able to find somebody. That's the general narrative. But I, I looked at it because I said, all right, well, is that true? I don't really have a really good way of analyzing it, but it, I, I did find this interesting. Um, the, the one way I decided to look at it was if you're rushing four, then you can see who it was that generated the pressure, and it's going to be defensive tackles and edge rushers, and that's it. With Kansas City, you're going to see a lot of different positions and a lot of different people that got pressures in that game because you're blitzing corners, you're blitzing safeties, you're blitzing linebackers. Kansas City, 11 different people got pressure on Jordan Love. Against Tampa Bay and Green Bay, then when Aaron Rodgers didn't play very well, 10 different people got pressure. Okay, well, was it all outside linebackers and defensive tackles? Well... How many linebackers, uh, and it, it, actually, you know what, there's a better way to even do this. Let's look at who, because it doesn't matter who got home, it's a matter of who actually rushed the passer, right? Um, if you look at Kansas City, everybody except four people blitzed at one point or another. You had, let's see, how many linebackers? One, two, three different linebackers. You had Willie uh, Legereus Sneed, the cornerback. You had a safety in Juan Thornhill. Um, then you had safety Tyron Matthew and safety uh, Daniel Sorensen, and I think that's it. Everybody else was defensive line. So you had, what, three linebackers, three safeties, and a corner? Tampa Bay, everybody blitzed Aaron Rodgers except three people. You had uh, one, two, two di- both, well, both safeties, Antoine Winfield and Jordan Whitehead blitzed five times combined. You had Levante David blitz seven times, linebacker Levante David. You had slot corner Sean Murphy bunting blitz seven different times. You had Devin White, middle linebacker, blitzed 14 times in that game against Aaron Rodgers. So it's not true that they just rushed four. It's absolutely untrue. And the fact of the matter is they're a 3-4 defense, meaning they, they rushed five generally, and they brought a lot of extra pressure. They had, let's see, uh, one, two, three, four, five... 12, um, 19, 29, 33, math, 33 blitzes of Aaron Rodgers in that game against Tampa. Jordan Love, we got so far 27, 37, 38, 38 blitzes against Jordan Love. And this, by the way, is a 4-3 team, so they're generally rushing four. So it's just, it's generally untrue. There may have been like one additional player that rushed Jordan Love, and there may have been a handful more pressures from non-defensive line players, but the vast majority in both cases were the defensive linemen, and in both cases, you saw a ton of blitzes. In fact, the the most blitzes by a non-defensive line person in either of those games was Devin White rushing 14 times from the linebacker spot. So that also is not true because they were rushing four. No, they weren't. They were rushing five most of the time, but it, it brought a ton of extra pressure which based on your thought process means that there should have been guys open. Why wasn't he throwing to them? I don't know, because it's just hard to play under pressure. That's why. That's why. By the way, people completely forget that this whole narrative, well, it's because they were playing Tampa and Tampa's a great defense. That This is a stupid comparison. Did you forget we played him twice? Did that escape your memory? He didn't. He had a 90 overall grade the second time we played Tampa. I'm just pointing out the time he had the most pressures was the first time we played Tampa, it was 18 times, and he didn't handle it very well. 
Not be, It doesn't mean Aaron Rodgers is bad. It doesn't mean Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love are the same person. It doesn't mean any of these fake things that you're throwing out there. Just means it's difficult. And yes, he's had plenty of games with lots of pressures that he's handled well. Even the second Tampa game, uh, he had 13 pressures against Philadelphia. That's still kind of a lot. He had a 97 overall grade in that game. Because he's Aaron Rodgers and sometimes it works out, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes things kind of devolve and fall apart. And again, Rodgers has not seen 19 pressures since, what, 2019? He, get to it. Yeah, so in 2019, he saw it twice. 20 against Minnesota and 24 against Philly. Then yeah, Rodgers did fine. Not elite, but he did fine. Handled it like a guy that had been playing in the league for, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years at that point. Starting in the league for 12 years at that point. Yeah, he, he sometimes he can handle pressure because he's Aaron freaking Rodgers. I get that. I'm not trying to take anything from Rodgers. I'm just making one simple point. If you bring pressure, it makes it difficult for quarterbacks to succeed. Jordan Love saw a massive amount of pressure. He did not succeed. That's it. That's the whole thing. So relax. So that, that that's the two things I wanted to bring up today. Number one, we have a really good roster outside of Aaron Rodgers. And it's not true that he's dragging around this deadweight roster. And everybody should know that by the fact that we've gone 13-3 and the last two years and are on our way to do it again. And everybody listening to me should be smart enough to realize a quarterback can't do that by himself. He needs a staff around him. He needs a GM to build a team around him. He needs offensive line help. He needs wide receiver help. He needs defensive help. You need these things to succeed in the NFL. And all of you are smart enough to recognize that. You also need a competent coach that can play call, that can game plan, that knows when to rest people, when to play people, when to be aggressive, when to take the foot off the gas, when to da 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 You got to have all these things to be a good football team, which is why it's so hard to be a good football team, which is why we should be so impressed with the Packers over the last 15 years. I just went on Twitter and saw somebody say that the Packers have been so mismanaged for the vast majority of Aaron Rodgers' career. It just makes me sick. It's so hard to not respond to that, but I'm going to try my best not to. It is such a pathetic thing to say. Mismanaged. We go to the playoffs every single year. We're dominant. Oh, you don't win a Super Bowl. So what? So what? So what? So what? So what? Neither does anybody else except one team. Why do you think we're entitled to a Super Bowl just because we're good? If you don't win a Super Bowl, you're not good. That's not true. Every single year, good teams lose. In fact, a lot of the time, the best team does not win the Super Bowl. It's single elimination. If you fall down one time, you're done. In fact, the year we won the Super Bowl, we were not the best team in football. We shouldn't have even been in the playoffs. Of all the teams in the playoffs, we were the one that shouldn't have even been there. We didn't win because we were the best team in football. Are you serious? But just the misery that people are in, they just, they, they hate, I mean, just the anger toward this team is unbelievable. This team has given you nothing but winning and winning and winning and winning, and you're such a spoiled little child, you can't get over the fact that we don't have more Super Bowls. How many Super Bowls have the Steelers won? Are they a bad franchise? Are they poorly run? Should they fire Tomlin and everyone? Well, at this point, maybe they should, but it's, it's a great franchise. They've had a great run. They've had a great, I mean, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger, that unbelievable offensive line they've had, the defenses they've had over the last 10, 15, 20 years, unbelievable. They don't have piles and piles of Super Bowls the last 15 years. Why? Well, because partly because they were competing with the Green Bay Packers, 
partly because they've been competing with the Patriots, partly because they've been competing with the Saints, they've been competing with a lot of other really, really competent teams, not to mention the fly-by-night teams that come in every single year. One year, the pan- the, the freaking Panthers are just dominant. Where did they come from? They come out of nowhere. They're a garbage team. All of a sudden, they're dominant. They knock out all the other NFC teams. They go to the Super Bowl. They get knocked out because they're not that good. And then they go back to being garbage for the next 10 to 15 years. So you got these fly-by-night teams that do nothing but ruin it for everybody else. These teams that are built the right way, run the right way. They've got the quarterback, the defense, the wide receiver, all these things. And then, boom, here comes Boomer the, the, the goober who just comes flailing in, having one good year where everything's just sort of clicking. It's football, dude. Crazy stuff happens. Just build the best team you can. Go out, put out your best effort, and try to win a Super Bowl. And if you do, and that's the thing, you're not going to even be able to appreciate it. If a Super Bowl to you is just the expectation, then a Super Bowl is not even going to be worth it. You're not going to be able to enjoy it. It's just kicking your feet up and going, finally, freaking losers. That should not be your reaction. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and you need to appreciate it. If we go to a Super Bowl and win, there, there should be a feeling of appreciation, not, okay, final stop being mad I guess you got to get it right man because we might we might actually be there that just freaked me out the other day when it dawned on me that there's a chance that in what less than two months we might be watching the Green Bay Packers in Los Angeles playing in a Super Bowl it doesn't feel real because it's like ah, you know whatever playoffs and And it it, it took a minute to be like dude listen it's it might actually happen. It's unlikely, but it might actually happen. They might actually win. We might see confetti fall on Aaron Rodgers and Rasul freaking Douglas in the Super Bowl this year. And we got to be able to look at that for what it is and appreciate it as this really rare thing that even the best of the best, it's a fleeting thing. Even for the best of the world, well, what about the Patriots? Shot up with the Patriots. Nobody has ever done that. In the history of football, has there ever been a Patriots team? Even the Packers, when they were a dynasty back in the day, they won two. The Packers being really good in the 90s won one. The Packers being really good in the 2000s won one. All these dynasties, you you maybe pluck out two. Or, you know, back in the 70s when there's four teams and six games in the season, they win maybe three. There's a lot of teams in in football right now. It's hard to do it. And yes, the Patriots did it. I don't know how they did it. They're a freak of nature. They did it and it's never going to happen again. Maybe they'll do it again if Bill Belichick can live another 20 years. I don't know. If he can find a quarterback and keep coaching another 20 years, maybe we're going to have to watch another Patriots dynasty run. But it's never going to happen otherwise. Anyways, I should probably uh, wrap this up so I can upload this and you can listen to it. It's not all about me just talking to myself, you know. But again, it just comes down to appreciation. Stop believing the nonsense. Stop believing we're a bad team without Rodgers. We might be a bad team if we can't find a quarterback like every other team in football, but that's a problem that'll sort itself out later. The the fact of the matter is we have a good roster, we have a good coach, we have a good GM, and I don't care what the guy that doesn't even know Bakhtiari's freaking name thinks about our roster. The guy that thinks our left tackle, who's replacing Bakhtiari, what did he call him, Bakari? The guy replacing Bakari is a rookie. That guy is going to tell you what to think about this team? Give me a break, dude. Come on. Anyways, have yourselves a great Saturday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.